Glad you're here. Does everybody have a, a lesson sheet? Anybody doesn't have a lesson sheet? If you do, just raise your hand and uh, Bill will run you over one right now. Won't you, Bill? That's right. Bill's been... Bill. Okay, there's somebody... I see that hand. I see that hand. There's a hand. Uh, Bill's hands will be sticky. He's been dispensing donuts all morning. And so uh, you'll see that. And then Trina, good to see you. You know, Trina's like the face of Sporting KC, Sporting KC now. Like they send out Instagram pictures, and she's on there. She she's like on there in Tulsa. What do you do? You just travel? Are you like a roadie uh, and a Zeusy groupie? Is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just see all sorts of pictures. So I'm glad you're here. Okay, here's the question. Look at your notes. Everybody's got a lesson sheet now. Take a le- look at your notes, and I want you to be really honest on this. Okay, so don't don't give the Jesus answer. You know, don't give the spiritual answer, Aaron. Give the give the real the real answer. And here it is. Why are you going to go to work tomorrow? Why are you going to work tomorrow? So go ahead, write write something write something down, write something down, and you can share. Why are you going to work? So everybody's thinking, and then why uh, you would like you know why you're frustrated that you don't have a job? You could write that one down too. We'll talk about that a little bit. So why are you going to work tomorrow? So jot that down. Everybody, everybody, oh, well, I would say, man, everybody here has a job. So why are you going to work tomorrow? Why are you going to work tomorrow? You say, oh, I don't go to work tomorrow. I go to work Tuesday. I, I, I know. Okay, Tuesday. Okay. Whenever your tomorrow is, why are you going to work? All right. So look at what you've written down. Now, here's what I want you to see. Knowing why you are working makes all the difference in the world. Knowing why you are working makes all the difference in the world. Okay, and so you've got to look at look at what you wrote down and says, now, is what I wrote down, is that a difference maker? Or is that really a reflection? Maybe attitude isn't that great at my job. So, the knowing why you're working. Now, here, I want to tell you a classic story. You, probably uh, many of you, or some of you at least, heard it. There's many versions of it, but it's a powerful illustration of a biblical truth that's the focus of this entire lesson, and it's this. A man came across three stonemasons who were working side by side, chipping away at large blocks of granite. And the first seemed really unhappy with his job. He was chipping away, but he kept looking at his watch. And when the man asked, what are you doing? What is it that you're doing? The stonemason responded somewhat gruffly, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm hammering this stupid can't wait wait until it's five when I can go home. The second stonemason appeared to be much more interested in his work and was diligently hammering away at the stone. The observer asked him the same question. What are you doing? And here's what he said. Well, I'm molding this block of rock so they can be used with others to construct a wall. It's not bad work, but I'll be glad when it's done. The observer approached the third stonemason who was hammering away at his block fervently, taking time to stand back, admire his work, and he chipped off pieces until he was satisfied that it was the best that he could possibly do. And so for the third time, the observer asked the question, what is it that you're doing? And when he he was questioned about his work, the third stonemason stopped, he gazed skyward, and he proudly proclaimed, Well, I am building 
cathedral. I am a cathedral. Now, there's all sorts of versions of this story. There's another one that says the famous famous English architect, Christopher Wren, was supervising the construction of the magnificent St. Paul's Cathedral. So if you've ever been to London, St. Paul's Cathedral, great piece of architecture, magnificent, and, and designed by this famous architect, Christopher Wren. And this version of the story says a journalist thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers, so he chose three, and he asked them the question, what are you doing? Okay. And in this version, the answer goes something like this. The first replied, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. The next answered, I'm putting in 10 hours a day of work on this job. But the third said this, helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. Now, I really like that answer because he's cooperating with the person who designed this magnificent thing. He's the designer. He's gonna, his name is going to be known for it. It's always connected with this great board. But I'm helping to get that done. Now, what makes that story, or whatever version you, you, you see, what makes it so powerful is that all three guys are doing the, all three are doing the same thing, but with totally different attitudes, right? And what makes the difference? What makes the difference? The difference can be summed up in one word, purpose. Purpose. It's all about why are you doing what you're doing. It's not what you're doing, it's why you are doing This story illustrates that purpose has the power to transform not only our attitude about the work that we do, but the quality of our work as well as the joy that we have or do not have in it. If your purpose, whatever you wrote down for why you're going to work tomorrow, is small and focused on self and focused on things of this world, then you're not going to have the greatest attitude when things don't go well. And you're not going to have the joy that God wants you to have on the job. So even though the story is simple, it illustrates a biblical truth, and it's this. So here's what you want to get in your head. Why we do what we do is 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 as important or even more important than what we do and how we do it. So why we do what we do is more important than what we do. So it doesn't, in a sense, matter what your job is. What matters is why are you doing it? And I hope this lesson is going to help you. Now, all three stonecutters were doing the same thing, but each gave a different answer. Each knew how to do his job, but what set the third guy apart was think about a couple from this illustration. These aren't written down. Just think about them. This story that we've shared about the three stonecutters remind us that knowing knowing not just how and what you do, but knowing why you do it is important. So we, we've hammered that. You've got that. Viewing the whole and not just part. What that third guy was able to do, what the other two, the first two guys did, is they focused on, oh, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. The other guy was able to look around and say, I'm a part of a bigger project. And believe me, if you ever worked on a team of people, you want the you want people who see not only but see the bigger picture and how it fits in. Another thing you see from the story is seeing a vision and a sense of the bigger picture. And then having the ability to see significance in one's work beyond the obvious. 
being able to understand that this little thing that I'm doing here that may seem insignificant is really part of a bigger whole that is far more significant than what maybe I I rem, uh, that than what I think about on Monday morning. You know, how do you think tomorrow morning about your job? And then another principle from this story is this: understanding that a legacy will live on whether in the stone of a or in the impact made. The way you work, based on why you work, will determine the legacy that you leave behind to others. And only those in your family who watch your attitude, and basically your attitude about your job uh, spills over, splashes on, and is soaked up by your kids. All right? And I'm not throwing my dad under the bus, but I remember what I remember about dinner table conversations was complaining about work. Okay, and my dad was a hard worker, great worker. That's what I remember. You know, and, and so our attitudes about work affect the people around us. Now, here's the big lesson of, of the lesson and what I want you to get from that illustration. Working for the king changes everything on purpose. Working for the king changes everything on purpose. And so I'm going to give you eight motivations. We're going to look at four of them this morning. We'll look at the next four next week. Okay, so here, so whatever you put in that box up at the top, why am I going to work tomorrow? You're going to have eight reasons that you can put in there that I think are bigger and better and help you to have the answer of the third stone cutter. I'm doing something I'm working not with Sir Christopher Wren. I'm working with the Lord Jesus Christ to do something for his kingdom no matter what I do tomorrow, what my paycheck is. So let's look at it. Motivation number one is something that we've hit a lot in this series, and here it is. Motivation number one is work. You go to work tomorrow to show your love for God. Why am I going to work tomorrow? I'm going to work tomorrow to show that I love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. And I'm going to show it in how I work. Now, we've hit this a lot, and I've got the verses there. Classic authority, the classic, the purpose for why we work is in Matthew 22, 35 through 38. Notice what it says. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus responded. A love with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, all, all, all tells us that work isn't exempt from that. Okay, so why are you going to go to work tomorrow? I'm going to work tomorrow of the Lord my God with all that I have. Now, there's two other verses. One we've looked at several times, one we haven't so much. Look in your notes. It says, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, and then it's the next two words, do all for the glory of God. Do all. As basic as eating and drinking is, as basic as it is going to work, all that you do at work, all that your work entails, do it for the glory of God. And then you combine that with Colossians 3.23, and it says, whatever you do all do 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 your work heartily as rather for men now i know this this has kind of been repetitive in this series but then it's the thing i think we 
take for granted and forget the quickest. And I think it's the thing for me that's impacted me the most in teaching this series is that whatever anybody does, it's an expression if you're a believer and if you do it for that reason, it's an expression of your love and worship for God. So there's a direct connection between Sunday and Monday. And it, and, and I don't know, the way it's impacted me is I go through my week for these last three or four weeks as I encounter different people doing different things, I just think, wow, that job has value to God. Wow, what that person is doing has value to God. I wonder if they know that. I wonder if they you know, have the joy of knowing that. And so I guess what I want for you, if you're looking at this number one going, yeah, 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 I know all that. Let's get on to the, you know, let's get to something new. Then let me ask you, is that really why you're going to go to work tomorrow? And how consciously do you think through that? I am going tomorrow, and tomorrow when you get up, consciously as you're shaving, as you're putting makeup on, doing whatever you got to do, because I love my Lord with all my heart, with all my, all my mind, and I'm going to work like it today. And I'm going to enjoy it because I know He is pleased when I work that way. Number two. Number two. Motivation number two. Why go to work tomorrow? Why get up tomorrow and go to work? Number two, work to show your love for others. Work to show your love for others. So the first reason we go to work is to glorify God. The second reason is to serve other people. I am serving other people. And of course, that's Matthew 22, 39 through 40. Jesus said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor and yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole, and those are the two words I want, the whole law and the prophets. The whole thing, my vertical relationship with God, is measured by how I treat and interact with the people around me, even my enemies on the job, even that guy that irritates me, even that lady that tries to undercut me. I am here to show love for others. And then look at Galatians 5.14. Paul says the same thing that Jesus says. And here's what he says. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one saying. He doesn't mean like one word literally. He's saying one, one saying. That tells you what. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now. Again, this is something that we know as a principle, right? This is, this is basic. We know that. Love God, love others. This, so, again, my question is, do you apply this at work? Do you see that what you are there to do at work is to show love for others in how you work? And I'm telling you, I think that is the biggest deal breaker or deal maker on witnessing on the job. Okay? It's not, you don't, we don't go to work to pigeonhole people and nail them with the gospel and then get that off our chest and get that guilt off of us and go around always directing everything to Jesus and just being like a freakish person or a cultish person. We're there to love and through our job, love those around us. And yes, verbally witness, but if the, if the way you work doesn't match up with what you're talking, then, it, then it's, it's better to not say anything. If the way you work doesn't measure up with the way you're talking. And so it's how you love. Now, 
no matter what it is you do, you're serving and love, loving others. So let me, let, let's break this down a little bit. Because I thought, okay, now how's it, what's this mean? Jesus teaches us to pray to the Father in this way. Give us our daily bread. Okay, if you're, I don't know if you do this. I know uh, one of the ways that I most frequently pray on a regular basis is I pray through the Lord's Prayer. Not, I, I, you have to have it memorized to do that. But I don't just repeat it rote. I pray through it. It's my pattern. It's my outline. And so I'll, 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 I have it memorized and I repeat it. And then out of it, out of each of the requests, I move out. Okay, so you always come to this one. Lord, give us our daily bread. Give me my daily provision. Give my family what it needs today. Give my church what it needs this week. Lord, you provide what we need today. And I'm going to look for your provision. Now, how does God answer that prayer? And let's be literal. Daily bread. How does He answer that prayer? Well, here's how He does it. Someone is working at planting that grain, fertilizing it, and nurturing it. Okay? You're not going to have bread unless somebody planted it and cared for it. Somewhere, someone made the tools and the machines involved in planting and harvesting grain as it comes to maturity. There's machines. And someone made those machines. Somebody built the trucks that carried the grain to the building that someone built to turn the bread to dough. Alright? Somebody made the ovens that baked the bread. Somebody made sure the electricity was running and available to bake the bread. And someone made the plastic wrap to keep the bread fresh. And somebody worked during the night to place the bread in nice presentable rows so you could walk up and purchase that loaf of bread. Right? Some of you worked, I know Bruce did, worked in a grocery store. There's people working all night long so that when you walk in, everything's neat, presentable, and in the proper place, all pushed up to the front, right? All organized. Someone did that, okay? And when God, when you say, God, give me my daily bread, and you go to the store and buy that, God did that through all that. Well, I think you get the picture. A whole lot of people worked very hard so you could eat your daily bread. That's just bread. That's just bread. What about your clothes? What about the gasoline? What about your car? What about all? They served you. They worked so you could have your daily bread and everything else that we, we need on a daily basis. But here's the fact. God's behind it all, making it all possible by providing sunshine, the air, the rain, the principles of electricity, the life, even the heartbeats of the workers who make for granted. With me? So, let's take a look. Any day you can work Jimmy Stewart into a uh, lesson is a good day for me. So, this reminds me of this prayer from the movie Shenandoah. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> now, only Jimmy Stewart, I mean, you know, no one else, you could read those same words, and only Jimmy Stewart can read those words, right? But that's exactly how, you know, so that, isn't that how we, you know, we can sometimes think that way, you know? Lord, thank you for, for, for all this and forgetting that, forgetting that it really is from Him. All that, you, you can't work without Him. It won't work without Him. 
And whether those people provide for you, for me, are like Jimmy, thinking they're all doing it on their own power and for themselves, or whether they're believers who are consciously doing it to love and serve others, the fact is, when anybody does their job and you benefit, they benefit, they have served you. And the, the, the opposite end of that is true too. Whatever you do, no matter how insignificant or meaningless or repetitious or frustrating it is, what you are doing is serving others. And when you do it with that consciousness and that love and that joy and that faith in the God that you love with all your heart and mind, then, then that God rewards that. And you're worshiping and you're you doing your work the way that God wants you to do it. Isn't that cool? That just lifts everything up. Everything. Even if you make toilet paper. I work in a toilet paper factory. Okay? I had the going to the urologist this week. That's always a high point in your calendar, right? And I'm just thinking, you know, and this is how this job, this is what this guy does for a living. I won't go into the details. That's just, this is what the guy does. This is what he does for a living. Now, he gets paid big money. You'd have to. But he, he gets paid money. But, but the bigger thing is, let me tell you, I was glad there was such a thing. I was glad this was someone's job. Because when you need those kind of services, then you're glad there's someone that's doing them. Amen? And if they're a believer, they can do it to the glory of God. And they can do it out of love. And those you work for and with will see the difference that love makes. So there you go. The question for us as workers of the king is, are we doing all that we do out of love for others? But here's another way to love others at work, okay? Here's another way. This, this, this command, love your neighbor as yourself, we sometimes think it originated with Jesus, but he's quoting the Old Testament. And so what's really interesting is when you go back to the Old Testament and find this command in Scripture, and it's found in Leviticus 19.18, and, and to help you out, I think you have it in your notes, but you can turn to it in the Bible. The context of it is very interesting. Because we kind of, you know, we, we hear it's just hanging out there. Love the Lord your God. Okay, abstract, principle, blah, blah. Love others as yourself. Yeah, yeah, I know. I wish others would do that more towards me. Let's move on. But here's the context. Look at Leviticus 19.18. You shall take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what's the opposite of loving in that verse? Help me out. Okay, the opposite of loving someone is doing what? Taking vengeance. Back, getting, I'm going to get them back and holding a grudge. And that does, you know, and sometimes we forget that a lot of that is takes place in the workplace because that's where you spend the, ma- the maximum amount of your time and that's where, you know, that it happens there. So if I'm going to show love in the workplace, if the reason I'm going to work tomorrow is to love others, then I've got to work at the Lord giving me the grace to not hold grudges and to not try to get back and get even. And I want to 
combine that with Titus 3, 1 and 2. Uh, the Bible is so practical when it comes to work. Listen to Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind them, that is the church in Crete, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities. So submissiveness is a way I love others at work. To be obedient, to to obey and do what I'm supposed to do is a way to love others at work. To be ready for every good work. Look for opportunities to do good for others at work. I talked last week about being somebody's hero. Just looking for ways to meet needs and to do that. Notice what comes next. To malign no one. Okay, so that means texting, Facebook, with your coworker buddy at lunch, the lady you take coffee with, be peaceable, make peace, gentle, and then here it is, show every consideration for all men. Now there is a workplace mission, all right? You say, Chris, I love others on the job. I've given you as much as I can give you. There's probably more. You probably have better application points because you work where you work and I don't. But there's the principles. There's the truth. Get up. Why are you going to get up tomorrow and go to work? I'm going to get up to love God. I'm going to get up and love others and serve them. And I'm going to do that by not being a pain in the backside like my other coworkers. And when they're a pain to me, and when they stab me, I'm going to show them the same forgiveness, the same grace, and the same compassion that Jesus has shown me for every sin that I put Him on the cross for. Every sin put Him on the cross. And He's forgiven us, and He's shown grace to us, and He's shown compassion. That means when people do us wrong, I can show them the same compassion. Doesn't mean that you don't go to HR and try to get things work out. Doesn't mean you let people take advantage of you and just walk over you. You go through the proper, proper channels, but we've all been there. Doing the right thing doesn't always get the right outcome. Right? We live in an unjust, unfair world where even Christians are unforgiving and unrelenting in their, in their anger, in their hate. But that doesn't mean we have to be that way. All right, so there you go. Now, if you do number one and you do number two, you're on your way to doing number three. So let's look at that. Number three, work to reflect God's image. Why are you going to work tomorrow? I'm going to work tomorrow to reflect God's image. Now, anytime I work the image of God and Jimmy Stewart into a lesson, it's a great day and a great lesson because the image of God is so important. We started this series out looking at your job and God's story, and we were back in Genesis 1 and 2. And let's see, I'm I'm done with this so I can do this. And so here's what I want you to understand. We are made in God's image. What does that mean? And boy, if you ask scholars and theologians, you get all sorts of answers. You ask me, you get this answer. And I think I can show it to you from Scripture. Being made in the image of God means that all human beings have a unique relationship with God. They have a unique relationship with God. It means they have a unique role, which equals representing God. Repre- 
representing, sorry, representing God. And it means they have a unique rule over creation under God. Now, I'm not going to take you to Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28 to prove all that. But I could. A unique relation. Let's make man in our image. In the image of God, let's create him. And God breathed, God took out of the dirt and formed a man and then breathed life into him. All that speaks of a unique relationship, a unique role. Being an image is a picture, a representation. So when you look at humanity, you see a little bit of what God's like. If you look at a dog, you don't get the right picture. You say, who would look at a dog? Well, go to Egyptian pagan worship. Pagan worship looks at dogs, cows, all those things as representations of deity, and they're getting, a, they're getting the wrong picture. You've got to look at people. They're not, we aren't gods, but we are a picture. A rep, we represent God to the rest of creation. And then a unique rule. He said, hey, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the earth. Now, that image of God is still active in you, and when you get saved in Christ, you have all this, in you have it redeemed or restored in Christ. So how's that, how's that look? Well, let's look at your uh, notes here. The image of God is reflected in the way we uniquely relate with God. The way we uniquely relate to God. So tomorrow, I want people to see and know that I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means praying on the job without ceasing. Nobody can keep you from praying. Nobody can keep our kids from praying in school. We can pray without ceasing. We can always be praying. We don't have to be led in prayer. We don't have to pray out loud, but we can have a prayerful attitude. If you're going to uniquely relate to God on the job, then that means having a prayerful attitude. Uh, the Bible also says, in all things give thanks. Not for all things, but in all things. So while as I'm on the job, are going bad and negative, I can still be giving thanks because I have a unique relationship. And, I, and as we saw last or two weeks ago, I work for a new boss and I have a new attitude and confidence. All right. And then if I'm uniquely related to God, I know he wants other people to have this relationship because they're made in God's image, but they're separated from him. So I can work tomorrow looking for divine appointments. I can look for open doors. Now, here's what I found when I was a, uh, a uh, runner at a law firm while I was in seminary. Was that in the secular, in the, you know, in the, in the workplace, you know, the, 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 the real world where you guys work, not where Bruce and I work, is there, you're surrounded by lost people. And what I found is there's all sorts of divine appointments and open doors, but they open like that. They open like that. And I went home going, Wow, there was like three cool opportunities today, and I missed them all. And what I had to start doing was, Lord, in the morning, I started praying as I rode the bus into Dallas, downtown Dallas, Lord, help me to see them before they come. Help me be ready. Help me anticipate. Because listen, if you're just going through the work week and, and trying, and we'll have a whole lesson on how to witness at work. But if you're going through the work week thinking... I don't have to prepare for this, and it'll just happen. And I'll, no, it's, it's like one-minute responses. Two-minute open doors. 
And if you're not prepared and ready, if you're not uniquely relating to God in the morning, getting ready and saying the reason I'm going to work, one of the reasons is to show, introduce others to this unique relationship that humans are the only ones that get it. Dogs don't get it. Cats don't get it. Plants don't get it. Aliens don't get it. Only us humans get this relationship. Then I've got to be ready for that. The way you uniquely relate to God. Secondly, the way we uniquely represent God. The way we uniquely, and that's as bad English in there, represent of God, but just mark of out. The way we uniquely represent God. When you go to the workplace, and when I go to work, we are ambassadors in the workplace. And while I've tried to lead Bruce and Kim to the Lord and they've resisted thus far, I'm still praying for them. But I still interact with other people during the workplace. I still interact. And I still have opportunities to witness. All right? Are you with me? Everything I do on the job, the way I talk, what I laugh at, what I don't laugh at, how I work, it represents him to lost people around me. And I've had limited experience because most of my life I've been in ministry. But when I worked at Gladstone Theater down here that is no longer and is a restaurant every other week. And when I looked, worked at the law firm and several other places and when I worked at the railroad summers. God has always given me the grace to have a positive witness for Jesus Christ, that when I left at least two of those jobs, was given gifts and was giving a verbal affirmation that I see you living for Jesus Christ. Imperfect, never perfect, but living for Jesus Christ. Uh, my one boss at the law firm who would get drunk over the weekend and come in hungover and uh, beaten up and passing out and knocking his head on the cement, gave me a whole barbecue grill set that I still use today. I always think of that guy. He did that because he knew my passions, he knew my interests, but because he also respected my walk. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. Now, if you say, man, this all sounds really, oh, I'm sorry, third way, the way we uniquely rule over God, uh, under God over creation, the way we uniquely rule under God, over creation. You say, I didn't know I was a king. Yeah, you are. You're a kingdom of priests in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a king and you're his son. So you're, you're princes, you're princesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, where's my kingdom? I don't know. What do you do? What do you do for a job? That's your, you're ruling, fulfilling your responsibility on the job. That's your little kingdom. That's your place responsibility. That's where you're exercising dominion for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, fill your responsibility knowing that you're working for the king. And that changes everything. This may all sound spiritual, and you're saying, now where's the part about making a living and making some money? Okay, are you ready? Number four. First of all, if you think all that other is spiritual and impractical, you've missed my whole lesson. Okay? So, if you think, okay, those first three things are preacher talk that's church talk, and I don't get the... If you, if you think that, honestly, if you think that, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to say I will spend more time with you to help you work that out and see how that relates. Because you're missing it if that's what you're thinking. What I just gave you was the essence 
of how Christians should work on the job. Immensely practical and tremendously powerful in witnessing. Are you with me? But God is not so otherworldly that making a living and making a profit is not important on your job. So here's motivation number four. Why am I going to work tomorrow? I work to make a profit for a purpose. I work to make a profit for a purpose. Too many people make a profit but don't have the right purpose for doing it. I'm going to give you what the Bible says is the purpose for making a profit. Notice what it says. We work to make a profit for a purpose, and that purpose is to provide for ourselves and especially others. Circle those last two words. And especially others. So here's three th- three areas, uh, reasons to provide. Okay, are you ready? Number one, provide for your own family. You go to work tomorrow to provide for your own family. Amen? That's why we go to work. But we also go for the first three reasons, right? Okay? Too often, number four is number one. But for Christians, it's number four. Okay? So we work for our own family. Here's what Ephesians 4.28 says. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, and that is that is the word for hard work, performing with his own, own hands what is... Alright? So, basically... If you don't work hard to provide for your family, you're that's what the Bible says. You're stealing from others because you're not working hard to provide for yourself. All right, a lot of implications there. First Thessalonians four nine says this. Or I want you to turn there. First Thessalonians four nine through eleven. Turn to uh, is it eleven or just yeah? First Thessalonians four nine through eleven. Because this is going to show you that numbers 1 through 3 connect to number 4. And the Bible connects it all in a seamless, it's all spiritual. Now look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now as to what? As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are to love one another. So he's talking about love. Number 2, love other people. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. You can always learn to love better and love more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hand just as we commanded you. There it is. You love others by working hard to provide for yourself. And this must have been a real problem with the Thessalonians. Because he writes about it in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Turn your Bibles just a couple pages over to 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. Through there, and I, I, Dad, I just want you to, to see it there, 6 through 15. But in the heart of that passage is that verse 10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you. If anyone's not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. We provide for our own family. Now, notice what he says on that, though. Let's keep reading from that. In verse 11, For we hear that among you, uh, there's some among you that are leading doing no work at all, but 
like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread, provide for themselves. But as for you, do not grow weary of doing good. It's all interrelated, okay? It's all interrelated. But notice 14. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter about one of them working for to provide, take that person and do not associate with them so that they put Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That's pretty severe discipline for people that don't work. But it gets even more serious in 1 Timothy. Because in 1 Timothy 5, it says that anyone that won't provide for their extended family is worse than an unbeliever. Amen? Now, second area where you provide. Number two, provide for God's family. Provide for God's family, especially those who work. Tomorrow you're going to work to not only provide for your family, but provide for our church family. And the biblical principle is this. Don't muzzle the ox while it's threshing. And here's the two principles. Those who work hard have the right to be paid and enjoy it. And next week, we're going to talk more about enjoying the fruit of our labor. Those who work hard have the right to be paid and enjoy it. But here's the second principle. Those who benefit from the hard work of others have the responsibility to pay them and let them enjoy it. So those who work hard have the right to enjoy the fruit of their labor and those who receive the services of those who work hard. And in 1 Timothy 5 and 1 Corinthians 9, Paul takes these principles and applies it to preachers and teachers and vocational pastors and says, look, those spiritually deserve to be paid physically and able to enjoy that pay because you don't muzzle the ox while he's threshing. The ox would go around and trod the grain and trod the grain and he's saying as he's working when he reaches down and eats some of that grain while he's working don't beat him and say stop doing that just keep working. You know just keep working without pay. Keep working without ever enjoying it. It's it's a powerful spiritual principle. And one that, that, that uh, we have a history of. But we need to remember that these are spiritual principles. Right? Spiritual principles. And you go to work tomorrow to help this electricity be on. You go to work tomorrow to enable and I and the people that work here, Kim, Christie's, cleaning, clean. You're, you're going to work tomorrow to have this clean facility and biblical teaching and shepherding. That's one of the reasons you're going to work tomorrow. Number three, you provide for others who cannot provide for themselves. You provide for others who cannot provide for themselves. And that's obviously not providing for people that can work but aren't. It's for people that either can't work, as we have some people that are without work, but it's also for people that are working but have needs they can't meet, and we can meet them for them. Now, you have in your notes a, a great quote by John Wesley that says, Gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. That's some great practical advice. And he lived by it. I'll tell you this. In 1744, John Wesley wrote these words. When I die, if I leave behind me ten pounds... You, and that's money, okay, English money. If I, if I leave behind me 10 pounds, 
You and all mankind can bear witness against me that I have lived and died a thief and a robber. He wanted to give it all away before he died. When he died in 1791, so that's like 50 years later, or a little under 50 years, the only money mentioned in his will was the miscellaneous coins to be found in his pocket in dresser drawers. Most of the 30,000 pounds he had earned in his lifetime, he had given away. As Wesley said, I cannot help leaving my books behind me whenever God calls me hence. But in every other respect, my own hands will be my ex- executors, my, my, my dispenser of my inheritance. In other words, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it all away. We make a profit for a purpose, especially to provide for God's kingdom, for His and for people in need. Isn't that good? That's just some good stuff. Now, those are just four. Next week, you're going to get four more. So come back for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come, and we have at least, what, four people uh, that are either already lost their job, struggling to keep their job, and I'm sure listening to a lesson like this can be frustrating, maybe even discouraging. But, Lord, it's also filled with hope because ultimately we are not working for whoever let us go. We're not working for whoever's going to hire us. We're working for you. And when we love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, and when we love others and seek and want a job to serve others and to reflect your image so that we can provide for ourselves, for our church family, and for those in need, then, Lord, you're going to come through. And we don't need to worry, we need to trust. And when we trust, we pray. And so, Father, we pray for you to supply those without jobs, with jobs. They're hard workers and they want to work hard. And they want to work for you. And we pray that those with jobs would take these four purposes and think about them and pray about them tomorrow. And not just tomorrow, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we'll come back Sunday rejoicing in how you have worked at work through us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I dare you to give it a try this week. Take these four motivations and go to work.